The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Move over, Mason Wynn. We had more prospects promoted over the weekend. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Monday, August 21st. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on the show, Weekend waiver wire ads, starter sit decisions, and three more prospects promoted. Before we get started, help us out by liking this video and subscribing on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And like we did on Friday, let's just start with the uh, prospects here. Of course, on Friday, we got the news that Mason Wynn was going to be promoted by the St. Louis Cardinals. And over the weekend, we got a few more names, and we'll start with Noel V. Marte, who was promoted by the Cincinnati Reds. Really kind of came out of nowhere, was not expecting this one, or at least not mm-hmm. this soon. Um, and he was part of that massive return in the Luis Castillo trade that happened last year, came over from the Seattle Mariners. Uh, his name has been in prospect circles, really dating back to even before 2020. This is, it's been a, Pretty big prospect for a while now. Noel V. Marte, 21 years old. This season in the minors was hitting 279 with 11 home runs, 18 steals, and an 812 OPS. Scott, your thoughts on Noel V. Marte, and would you rather have him or Mason Wynn? Mason Wynn. And I'll, I'll just preface this whole thing by saying none of these call-ups are as exciting as Mason Wynn. I, I suppose we should have anticipated a bit of an influx here right when we hit that 45 days left in the season. Point, but um, but yeah, I, I would say all three of the guys we're talking about today have uh, had big enough reasons to think they wouldn't be among the crew called up. And in Noel V. Marte's case, it's that he's 21 years old. He hadn't really done much for the entire month of August. Recently moved up to AAA, but hadn't really done much there, particularly recently. And yeah, he's been he's 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 one of those prospects who became a big prospect at a very young age, 17, 18. And then there's just been a lot of hand wringing over, Oh, is this guy going to live up to his potential ever since then? Cause the numbers 
you know, he's gone through some ups and downs. The final numbers have always ended up in a pretty good place, but not like a jaw-dropping place. For instance, his numbers between double and triple A this year, uh, 279 batting average, 11 home runs, 18 steals, 812 OPS in 92 games. Those are fine numbers, but they're not going to make anyone fall out of their chair. Uh, he was a pin- used as a pinch runner in his first game Saturday. He did get a start at third base Sunday, and I do think he's going to be their primary third baseman for now. But if you know the same thing we said when uh, Ellie De La Cruz and Christian Encarnacion Strand came up, is where they're going to play all these guys. If mm-hmm. if Marte's at third base every day, then that means Ellie De La Cruz is a shortstop every day. Matt McClain is at second base every day, and I guess Spencer Steer is in left field every day. Is that really going to happen? And then. What about when Jonathan India and um, uh, Jake Fraley return? Fraley, you know, he's kind of got a weird situation going on, but it does seem like they're both going to return at some point. Is is this going to be short-lived with Noel Marte? As I said for, uh, for, for Mason Wynn when we talked about him, just because – just because they're being called up at a point where they can't lose their rookie eligibility by days on the active roster doesn't mean they can't lose their rookie eligibility by getting too many bats. If, if they exceed 130, then they lose rookie eligibility that way. And that's going to mean that he can't play every day, basically. If he plays every day, if he gets at bats every day, he's going to exceed 130. So um, I think even more so in, in Noel V. Marte's case, given the state of development he's in and the, the roster crunch, uh, it's even more obvious he's not going to play every day. And so, um, I, you know, I was putting in bids in all my leagues here for the start of the new week, probably probably half of them. I didn't even bother to bid on Marte. So that's where I'm at with him. Yeah, I would say leagues with a middle infield spot because as of now, Noel V. Marte is only shortstop eligible, should gain third base eligibility on CBS as well. But he became available in those NFBC leagues, so 15 team leagues or deeper with that middle infield spot. I think that's where we're looking at these uh, these younger names for now. But there is a chance because obviously they are uh, pretty young, exciting players. And and I do wonder if like specifically whether it tells us something about Jonathan India's chances of coming back this season. You know, like would they even bother if they thought Jonathan India was two weeks away? You know, given that he's already had the setback with the with the foot injury, he's you know complained about how it was handled. I do wonder if the, the, they might not be tipping their hands a little bit. Um, and then Jake Fraley. Jake Fraley is one of those guys that like we like him because he's you know played 160 games and he's with the Reds and he's got like 25 homers and a bunch of, and a decent amount of steals. But like he's been a 1.7 WAR player over the past two seasons in 160 games. So it's not like they can't just take him out of the lineup. I mostly agree. I, I do appreciate the like metronomic quality of Noel V. Martez, Marte's uh, production. If you look at just every level starting at A-ball, he's 831 OPS, 824, 820, 820, while hitting like right at 280 every year. Yeah, I, I think the likeliest outcome is Noel V. Marte doesn't make much of an impact for fantasy. But in the one league I've got where we have open free agency rather than waivers, I, I picked him up when I saw the breaking news. It's not, it, the stakes are low there. You know, yeah. I didn't have to put any fab or any waiver priority on him. So it's like, let's just see what happens. And we cycled through guys a lot in that league. I would I would put the cutoff 
and, and this is what I tweeted out over the weekend about if, if you play in a league where fewer than 300 players are rostered, unless you happen to have a just like a, a intense need at shortstop or third base, which is going to pick up, you probably don't really have somebody you can drop for Noel V. Marte. If it's more than 300 players, maybe you do. And it's always worth pursuing upside if you have a roster spot you can play with. Yeah, I dropped Alec Thomas for him. That was that was an easy call. Yeah, that's pretty easy. All right, let's slide over to the pitching prospect who is planning who they're planning to promote on Tuesday, and they being the San Francisco Giants. Their top pitching prospect, Kyle Harrison, he is a 22-year-old left-handed pitcher, not having a great season in the minors. 452 ERA, a 148 whip. Lots of strikeouts, but also lots of walks. He's only completed five innings once this season in the minors, 6.6 walks per nine, uh, but he throws very hard and does get strikeouts. Chris, any interest here in Kyle Harrison? I think it probably would have to be deeper leagues. Yeah, I mean, you have to consider the, you know, the the situation that he's in. He's got a 466 ERA at AAA this season. Well, that's the PCL. So that, that's a very, very tough hitting environment. It's it's kind of like pitching at cores. Now, obviously, it's like pitching at cores against minor leaguers. So there's still that adjustment. But it is to say that like he's a 332 ERA guy for his career. Crazy high strikeout numbers. I think the likeliest outcome is he's not particularly useful for fantasy, just like we said for Noel V. Marte. But pitching is hard enough to find, and pitching has been random enough this season that you know I'll, I'll take a flyer on Kyle Harrison, who does have a very strong whiff rate with his four-seam fastball, 36% uh, down there in the minors. That's a, a huge mark for a four-seam fastball. Uh, sli- slider, 35%. He's got a slurve curveball that's 28%. So, you know, decent strikeout potential here and good quality of contact metrics as well. So I, I'm probably more interested in Harrison than Marte. I, I just don't want to understate the extent of the control issue because you mentioned a very high walk rate, Frank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Six, 6. 6.4 walks per nine innings. That's the extent of bad that we're talking about. Has thrown 59% of his strikes, his pitches for strikes for the season. He, he Control problems have been an issue for Kyle Harrison throughout his minor league career. And it's just, oh, but the stuff is so good. You know, so hopefully he'll get over it soon. He was better last year, seemed to take a step forward, huge step back this year. That's kind of why I was surprised to hear him getting called up. I did notice, and this is obviously a small sample size, probably means nothing, but when you're dealing with prospects, small sample sizes can mean a lot more. The organization obviously has a better feel for what this sample means from Kyle Harrison. But last two starts, walk nobody through 73% of his pitches for strikes, so Maybe something happened there, and that's why Kyle Harrison is getting called up now. It was only seven and a third innings. I said two starts, seven and a third innings. You mentioned Frankie. He hasn't gone how long in any start this year? He's only completed five innings once the entire season. Only five in once. And, and yeah. with the Giants, I mean, like, they treat 60% of their rotation like long relievers anyway, so they're probably yeah. going to do that with Harrison uh, just based on that stat. He hasn't so, thrown more than 83 pitches in a start. He's only topped 83 times. So, yeah. I, I think, I, and, and Chris is right, that like pitching has been so unpredictable. I can understand just, you know, taking a shot on upside and, and hoping it goes well. I suspect it won't. I, I suspect in retrospect, we'll see this as 
you know, at some point the major league career happen has to begin before you can progress. In, particularly if we're in a, an era now where 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 uh, prospect call ups take longer to adjust to the majors, which seems to be the case. At some point, you got to get them to the majors be- so they can take the time to adjust to it. And maybe, like maybe this is worth celebrating just for that, even if Kyle Harrison's not going to be that impactful yet. The third prospect that we saw promoted this weekend. And the Angels, they're really just competing against themselves, right? Of how how many times can we one-up ourselves in terms of calling up prospects incredibly fast? Because this one is crazy. They promoted first base prospect Nolan Shanwell. That's spelled S-C-H-A-N-U-E-L if you're looking for him in your league. He was a first-round pick in this year's draft. He was the 11th overall pick. Which, July. Yeah, it's, this is just... It's crazy stuff, but he's here. He's with the Angels. CJ Crone went on the IL, so they did. They needed help at first base. He's 21 years old. He's a uh, left-handed batter. I mentioned the 11th overall pick. He was batting 339 with a 955 OPS in 16 games at Double A. That was it. Uh, he has I mean, he has let off all three games for the Angels. For what it's worth, he's 19% rostered. Chris, your thoughts on uh, Nolan Shanwell? I will say, like, I don't know if this kid's ready. He looked about as ready as you possibly can in a 16-game sample size at Double A. I mean, he made the jump from the Conference USA to Double A, and he walked 16 times to nine strikeouts in 16 games. Now that's a tiny sample size, and there are real questions about whether he's got enough power to play. I mean, he hit 19 home runs last season in 60, 59 games at, at college, but. He only had one home run in the Cape Cod League last summer. He's only got one home run as a professional in 21 games. The notable thing there is those are both wooden bat leagues. Uh, And his, I was just looking at his Baseball America page. Average exit velocity so far in the minors, 83.9 miles per hour, 96.6 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity, 103.6 max exit below. That's really bad uh, across the board for a, major league hitter. So I think it's first baseman. Yeah, especially for a first Uh baseman. So I think it's pretty unlikely that Nolan Shanwell is able to hit enough to stick in the majors, but you know, maybe it's kind of a, I don't know, a backwards uh, profile where he can OBP his way to fantasy relevance at the top of a good lineup. I'm kind of interesting in points leagues. Stretching. Yeah, I think so. Uh, You know, what came to mind was James Loneyot. I don't know if that makes sense for you. Sure, I, was, yeah. I was going back even farther to Nick Johnson. Nick Johnson. Yeah, that's what right. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, former Yankee and national, right? Former Marlin. Oh, really? Yeah, for that's about true. 12 games. He had the mustache, right? <laughs> when he was with the Marlins. Yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to point this out for, for Shanwell. And I, I you know, I, I think it, it sums up the strengths. His last year at FAU, college, his last year in college, which I guess was what, this year? because they called him up so quickly. <laughs> 71 walks versus 14 strikeouts. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. And, and his plate discipline was amazing before that, but yeah. he he actually had a vision problem. You know, He had an astigmatism, and they had to get a new contact for him prior to his, his final year in college, where he walked 71 times and struck out just 14 times. So he's been batting leadoff. I, we haven't tested the theory yet whether they're going to play him against lefties. Uh, he he bats left-handed, does Shanwell. Uh, but he started every game, batted leadoff for the Angels since being called up. I 
I, I actually do have just because of, you know, they, they seem to, um, they seem to have such an obvious role for him and batting leadoff and everything. I have a little bit more hope for him than these other two. I'm still leaving him for deeper leagues, but it does seem like he's, he's, his call up is more about addressing a need than is Noel V. Marte's or Kyle Harrison's. Look, waivers ran over at the NFBC at, at 10 p.m. Eastern time, and I was able to get Mason Wynn for $3 out of 1000 It's okay. That's at, amazing. At that point, this time here. why not? Uh, you know, Nolan Shanwell, I picked him up for 2 bucks. So I'm kind of desperate for middle and corner infield in, in deeper leagues, and so that's where I think these players are going to be the most useful. Again, three more prospects promoted this weekend. Noel V. Marte with the Reds, Kyle Harrison with the Giants, and Nolan Shanwell with the Angels. With that being said, let's talk about the rest of this weekend's action. The impossible has happened! All right, Chris, you are up with your player of the weekend. Yeah, let's, uh, I mean, we've talked so much lately about how pitching is a random number generator, so let's go with the the good side of that. And Yuri Perez, who had, uh, was this his best start yet? Career high 10 strikeouts, six shutout innings, two hits allowed against the Los Angeles Dodgers yesterday in a game that the Marlins managed to lose. He had and a similar one against the Braves. Uh, uh, no, it wasn't against the Braves. Never mind. He had a terrible start against the Braves. He had he consecutive had, games where he had nine strikeouts before he got shut down. Yeah, in six innings. So, yeah, this was his best start, statistically. And, uh, like, there had been some changes in his pitch mix since coming back. He was prioritizing the forcing fastball and slider well above everything else. In this one, he mixed his curveball and changeup in about 29% of the time. Uh, 22 whiffs in this one. You know, hard hits, uh, you know, on the rare balls in play, but just a really, really nice performance from Yuri Perez and something that I don't know if I needed to see from him because I certainly haven't changed my long-term outlook on Yuri Perez, but like, in did I end up sitting him in one league? I'm trying to remember the, the one league I've got him in. I did end up sitting him this week because of the way the last couple of starts had gone. The fact that he hadn't been throwing even 90 pitches. He got to 90 in this one. You know, I'm going to have some some tougher choices to make. He's got Washington on the schedule this week. One start week. My other options would be like a one start Tarek Skubal against the Cubs. I'm probably going Yuri Perez over him, right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh, the Nationals are 23rd in Woba against righties this year, so I think it's a fine matchup. I'm hopeful he kind of because obviously they shut him down for a while. He was building back up again. I'm hopeful Yuri Perez regained the feel for the curveball mm-hmm. in this start because he was so heavy fastball slider those first couple turns and didn't go well for him. Obviously, up the curveball use to 21 percent in this one seven whiffs on 10 swings with that one so there you go also nine whiffs on 15 slider swings just right i'm sure it made a slider more effective it made everything more effective he has so many weapons to 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 um to choose from to work with and he was kind of handcuffed in his first couple starts back so hopefully he's back up to form in this one uh i'd say given the quality of the competition and the sheer dominance I would think we're not going to sit Yuri Perez much going forward. That curveball, by the way, just to put some numbers on that pitch, it has a 
60% whiff rate with a .037 batting average against Yuri Perez's curveball is amazing. Scott, let's go over to you, your player of the weekend. I'm going to go with Mitch Keller, our old friend Mitch Keller, who had his second consecutive pretty good start after a stretch of some really awful ones. This one came at Minnesota, team that strikes out against a lot against right-handed pitchers, it's worth noting. Struck out 12 times against Mitch Keller on Saturday, 18 swinging strikes on 98 pitches. He still had more base runners than innings pitched, eight base runners in six innings. That 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 happened in his previous start too. But I watching the highlights for this game, the movement on his pitches was pretty incredible. You could understand why he got as many strikeouts as he did. The sweeper in particular was untouchable. He threw 18% of his pitches were sweepers. It did not get touched. Nobody made contact off it. Exit velocity against zero on the sweeper. It, it did generate four whiffs. It got some nice called strikes too. Uh, he threw his cutter a lot more yeah. than usual, which is interesting because that's his pitch with the highest batting average against. And so this is kind of the, okay, good news, Mitch Keller, bad news, Mitch Keller. 98.1 miles per hour was the average exit velocity off Mitch Keller in this start where he struck out 12. That's a, that's a lot of really hard contact. And I wonder what was going on with the pitch selection there, throwing the cutter so much. But, you know, I think all in all, a step in the right direction for Keller, a uh, reason that you can feel validated for holding on to him if, if you didn't dump him during that rough patch. I don't think he's, I don't think he's back to a, I, I don't, I don't think we're at a point where we start him against anybody where he's transcended the glob, anything like that, but he's shown he deserves to be in the glob still and is worth considering as a starter moving forward. I will say both sides of the good and bad for Mitch Keller in this one might just be like an, it was the twins kind of thing. Cause this is a team that when they make contact, they tend to hit the ball very, very hard. It's just that they have the highest strikeout rate ever so far this season. So, you know, it could just be right slash wrong matchup because Keller, even throughout, you know, his struggles, the one thing he has done is like hard hit rate is still only 34.4%. That is very low. Um, so that that's the one thing he has continued to do pretty well. So all three names that we chose for our players of the weekend were part of a starter sit segment for this upcoming week. Yuri Perez, again, I think we felt pretty good about that. Scott, the matchup for Mitch Keller this week is home against the Cubs, a team that is seventh in Woba against right-handed pitching this season. Where would you go with Mitch Keller? I'd lean no. I think but so I, I think with this start, he showed that it's not an automatic no anymore. So, you know, kind of it kind of depends who you have. Would I start one start Mitch Keller over questionably a two-start Zach Littell, who's one of my higher sleeper pitchers for this week. And it's not clear he's making two starts. There's some disagreement over whether, whether that's going to happen. I would say no. I, I'd say I'd go with Mitch Keller over, over rolling the dice on somebody like Littell. So that's, you know, you got, you got to consider who else you have on your roster and who else is available to you. But I'd prefer not to start Keller with that matchup. All right, well, I am going to take the negative pitching performance of the weekend. Framber Valdez up against the Mariners, who allowed six earned runs over five innings pitched. 
12 base runners in this one. Uh, he still did have a good amount of swinging strikes. He had 13 of them on 88 pitches, but lots of hard contact, 12 hard hits allowed in this game. And that really has been a big issue for Framber Valdez this year. His average exit velocity on the season, 91.9 miles per hour. And over his last nine starts, this includes the no-hitter that he threw a couple of outings ago. He has a 582 ERA and a 135 whip, and it coincides with him hurting his ankle back in late June. So I just, I wonder how much of that has actually kind of hampered his performance over the past couple of months. Uh, again, the numbers are not good recently. The good news is that he faces the Tigers this week, which I'll point out, they have been playing a little bit better recently. Uh, Chris, I'm starting him. You're starting I'm, him. There, there's no there's no way I would say Framber Valdez against the Tigers. Okay, uh, Chris, uh, Scott, any other thoughts about the, the recent struggles of Framber Valdez and you're starting him at the Tigers this week? Uh, yeah, I would start him against the Tigers. Remember, it wasn't that long ago he had a complete game shutout. I know it's been all bad since then, but you'd hate to miss out on something like you, that. You are underselling him, sir. <laughs> yes, you are, Scott. It was a no-hitter. Oh, it was a no-hitter, right. <laughs> yeah, right, it was a no-hitter. And My the bad. one thing I will say is, like, I I don't know. I'm not a pitcher, so I don't know if the ankle bone is connected to the curveball bone. But the one thing that really stands out when you look at his pitch, uh, his game log is he threw his curveball 45% of the time in that start against Cleveland. Yep. It was 28% the, last t- the, the next time out, but... Three of his last five starts have been 20 or 20% or lower. This is a guy who typically throws his curveball. This season's about 25% of the time. Historically, it's been closer to 30% of the time. So, yeah, I do think when you're, you know, we, we've, this is not the first time we've tried to figure out what's wrong with Framber Valdez. That's the thing that stands out the most. I was going to point out the same thing. So in that no-hitter, it turns out, not just a complete game shutout like I wrote down. In that no-hitter, Framber Valdez, yeah, the curveball was his most thrown pitch. But in this most recent start, well, he threw it 25. I I don't remember exactly. I may have my notes wrong here. 25% of the time he threw the curveball. I'm not. The point is he's been throwing his curveball not enough apart from that no-hitter. And... His ground ball rate for the entire second half, Framber Valdez, below 50%. This is a guy who we're used to seeing his ground ball rate up near 60%, and it's been below 50%. He's given up nine home runs in the second half versus seven in the first half. Like he's just uh, Did he even give up nine last year? I'm not sure about that. But like the, like he needs to throw the curveball more. I don't know if something's wrong with it. If you know, <laughs> maybe it's connected to the ankle bone or whatever. <laughs> But he needs to get back to throwing it. He needs to get back to getting ground balls like we're used to seeing from him. It's kind of just another way of saying things aren't going right for him, but it's 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 the way in which they're not going right for him, I guess. He gave up 11 home runs last season. Yes, and in this start over the weekend, Framber Valdez only threw his curveball 18% of the time. So again, it's, it's down compared to uh, what we would like to see out of Framber Valdez. These two guys say that they are still starting him this week at the Tigers who are 26th in Woba against left-handed pitching. Two quick shout-outs for the weekend. Gunnar Henderson had a monster weekend in Oakland. Pretty obvious, you know, bad pitching staff. But he went one for uh, four for five with his 21st home run on Sunday. He actually passed up a cycle. Yeah, that was that was great. I love that. It was crazy. He uh, So he's in the eighth inning. He needs a single for the cycle. He hits a ground ball down the right field line, and... 
He just went to second <laughs> instead it of stopping. Kind of looked first. like he could have gotten the triple if he pushed for it. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, cool stat for that. According to Sarah Langs, at 22 years and 42 days old, Gunnar Henderson is the youngest player in Orioles history with four extra base hits in a game. The last person to do it, Cal Ripken Jr. back in 1983. I I have to say, like I'm I'm kind of tired of the whole like cycle being this ultimate standard of hitting greatness because it's it's a statistical oddity but getting extra bases is better getting what seven nine ten getting ten getting 11 total bases and four at bats is better than getting 10 total bases and four at bats like if if the doubles available to you of course take it like who cares if it's not the cycle yeah but like better than the cycle the cycle is like a fibonacci sequence you know I don't care. It's like, like like the Da Vinci Code, but for baseball. What if I told you that the Orioles won the game twelve to one, Scott? <laughs> I don't I think still it, say I, you go for as much as you could get. It helps your slugging percentage. Yeah, I don't know. Only in points leagues. I think having your name kind of etched in, uh, hit for a cycle in your career. That, that's pretty cool. It's, so it's it's just an like it's it's a stupid know. thing. That this is we, very old man yelling at clouds, Scott. I don't know. I don't know about this. No, point. I mean people were arguing with me about it on Twitter too. Like it's 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 is, well, is it's, a triple. It, it's, it's sort of is a it's, triple better than a home run, even because it's rarer. No. It's sort of like AJ Burnett's nine walk no hitter. It's like cool. You got no hits. You didn't give up any hits, but it's also like wasn't really that great of a start. You know, it was a pretty good start. It's one of those like it's 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 cool. It's it's but that's all it is. I mean, there are there are four hit game. There are pretty good. Right. But a four hit game with two doubles, a a triple and a home run is better than a four hit game. with I'm sure a single, a triple and a home run. I'm 100 percent certain that a home run, a triple, a double and a double is rarer than than an actual cycle. You might be right about that. Let us know in the comments. Do you agree with Scott or do you want to hit for the cycle? Let us know. Uh, Also, shout out to Julio Rodriguez, who is on a historic run. Uh, He went four for five with a home run and two steals on Friday. He had another four hit game on Saturday that made 17 hits in a four game stretch. The most by hitter since 1900. So pretty awesome stuff there for Julio Rodriguez as well. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll talk waiver wire pitchers, waiver wire hitters and much more right after this. Welcome back. And last week I mentioned our friends over at the Fantasy Football Today podcast. They have their annual draft-a-thon coming up on Wednesday, August 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. They've been raising a bunch of money with all of it being donated to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. And if you want to help contribute, you can head to tinyurl.com slash donate, and you'll find some fun listings on eBay, including listings For this podcast, we currently have another spot in one of our 2024 FBT listener leagues, as well as a guest spot on this very podcast. Again, head to tinyurl.com slash FFT donate or scan the QR code in the top right corner of the screen to start bidding. You can also find the links to those specific listings in both the YouTube and podcast description. All proceeds will go to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Let's talk waiver wire pitchers from the weekend. And this first group includes Tarek Skubal, who uh, I guess people were kind of upset at his struggles recently because he's been dropped in some leagues. He's 76% rostered. Uh, Tarek Skubal at the Guardians this weekend. Six innings, one run, seven strikeouts with 16 swinging strikes. Cole Reagans picked up a quality start at the Cubs. He allowed three runs over six innings with 
nine strikeouts and 14 swinging strikes. Nick Pavetta pitched well as a bulk reliever Sunday at the Yankees. Five innings, two runs, eight strikeouts there. Not exactly sure what's next for Nick Pavetta. Is he going to just be a reliever? Tanner Houck is returning early this week, so we do still have some question marks there, but he has pitched well for the most part. Uh, and Seth Lugo back on track with a strong start against the D-backs. Six shutout innings with nine strikeouts, 14 swinging strikes in that one. Scott, how do you rank these waiver wire pitchers? Scoobal, Reagans, Pavetta, and Seth Lugo. I'm actually going to go Cole Reagans, number one. I'm Ooh. really impressed with Cole Reagans. This was a big test he passed going against a, a, a Cubs lineup that's been doing so well in the second half here. I mean, his his best start since being called up came against the Red Sox, so maybe he's already passed some tough tests. But now in three, in, in four starts since returning from the minors, Cole Reagans has gotten eight or more strikeouts in three of the four. It's a 266 ERA during that stretch. His swinging strike rate is 15%. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's a guy who was on my radar in spring training because his fastball was up four miles per hour from the year before. A spot never opened for him in the Rangers rotation. He got put in relief and had some struggles there with walks and against left-handers, strangely, even though he's a left-hander. But he added a slider to his arsenal since... Um, since joining the Royals, and it seems to have just really brought everything together, as well as being a good swing and miss pitch in its own right. And I think stock way up for for Cole Reagans right now. I I predict he's going to be the breakout pitcher of the second half. Mm-hmm. Only problem is he pitches for the Royals. But hey, my second choice on this list has that same problem. Not that he pitches for the Royals. He pitches for the Tigers, Tarek Skubal. And by the way, Tarek Skubal, this was his first six-inning start since returning. So that's kind of been a problem for him. In addition to the performance not being as consistent as we'd like, still, he's worth rostering in most leagues, I would say. Uh, Third, I'm going to go Seth Lugo, who is steady but doesn't have quite the upside of those other two. And then fourth would be Nick Pavetta, whose role is, I think, very much up in the air, especially with with, uh, Tanner Houck about to return. But it was nice to see Nick Pavetta bounce back from one of his shakier outings last time out. Probably all four of these guys need to be rostered, frankly. The one the one who I think uh, you can most part with, though, if you need to, is Pavetta. And guess what, Scott? Nick, Nick Pavetta did get to 15 strikeouts this week. He did. Exactly 15. So that, <laughs> that, uh, that prediction came true. Good for me. Waiver wire pitchers from the weekend part two. Logan Allen has allowed two earned runs or fewer in four straight starts. He is 61% rostered at the Blue Jays this week. Kyle Hendricks, another quality start facing the Royals, six and a third innings, one run with three strikeouts. He's at the Pirates this week, so solid matchup for him. Hyunjin Ryu, he's just quietly pitched well for the Blue Jays since returning. He's got a 189 ERA and a 105 whip. He is facing the Guardians this week. And then uh, Brandon Fott had his best start of his career so far. He threw seven shutout innings, one hit allowed, three walks, five strikeouts at the Padres. And in six starts since returning from the minors, he's got a 3.50 ERA, a 1.08 whip. He's looked pretty good for the most part. Uh, Chris, how would you rank this second group? Brandon Fott, Hyunjin Ryu, Kyle Hendricks, and Logan Allen. I think I would rank them... In the order you have them. So Allen, Hendricks, Ryu, Fott. I could be talked into Fott over Ryu because I don't really feel particularly strongly about either one. 
I feel most strongly about Allen at the top. And then after that, it's, it's pretty iffy. I, you know, Hendricks has been really useful this season in a way that uh, I certainly didn't expect. And I'll be honest, there's a, a part of me that every time I, I feel like I get away with something when I start him and he has a good game, but you can't keep getting away with it. But, you know, he's doing some vintage Kyle Hendricks stuff and he has been for most of the season. The, the walk rate has been really, really low as it usually is. Strikeout rate lower than we're even used to, but very, very good quality of contact metrics help him kind of keep getting away with it. Um, but yeah, I, I like fought, I, I think is interesting, but I'm not buying into him having figured it out. They've certainly made some tweaks to his approach. I, I still think he's probably too fastball heavy given how hard that pitch gets hit. Um, I just don't know if he has the command of the other pitches to, you know, go like 25% fastball. But yeah, that's. Those are my thoughts on that group. And even Allen, like, I'm not super excited about. I probably like at least three of the four from the previous group more than him. I don't know about Pavetta, but Allen, strikeout rates down, walk rates up in the month of August. So I'm not, like, not seeing a star turn necessarily here. Even though it's a 196 ERA and four starts for the month, yeah, everything else a bit questionable and and. You know, last time I think it was just Frank and I were talking about Logan Allen's last start, and we pointed out, oh, he had a different pitch mix. He didn't. He, he kind of faded the fastball and the sweeper, brought in some other pitches, and maybe that helped to round things out. Well, he pretty much just went with the fastball and sweeper mm-hmm. in this one. So he went from fading them in his last start to relying almost exclusively on them in this start, and the result was fine, but. Uh, it was against the Tigers. I, I don't know. I don't know that he's still landed on. I don't know that he's landed yet on what works. And um, I would be skeptical. I, I would be hesitant to rely on Logan Allen too much. All right. The next group of three includes Christopher Sanchez, another quality start at the Nationals. He allowed three runs, two of those earned over six innings pitched. Cutter Crawford, one of his better starts of the year at the Yankees, six innings, one hit, one run allowed with five strikeouts. But like Nick Pavetta, not exactly sure, A, what his role is going to be. If he's going to remain in the rotation, I think he will. But even if he does, he's facing the Astros this week. And Dakota Hudson has allowed three earned runs or fewer in four straight. Scott, any interest in this group? Dakota Hudson, Cutter Crawford, and Christopher Sanchez. Not really Dakota Hudson, who, you know, he's had stretches where he's given you quality starts because he's a good ground ball pitcher and can limit damage that way. But I think in... In the long run, he's nothing to get particularly excited about. I mean, I guess his strengths are similar to Christopher Sanchez's, and I feel a lot better about Christopher Sanchez right now. I don't, I don't know. Extreme ground ball pitcher. He's not walking anybody, which maybe helps him to stand out from other ground ball pitchers. He's really very much like Ranger Suarez, his teammate in, in Philadelphia, who's now on the I.L., so, you know, we kept thinking, oh, they're going to they're gonna cut this six-man rotation down to five at some point. Now they don't have to. Now Christopher Sanchez has a spot. So he's my favorite of these three, I would say. I, I would have more interest in Cutter Crawford, but he does have the same issues as Pavetta, as you pointed out. Is he going to hold on to the role? Is he ever going to give us six innings at a time? I think, uh, I think this was only his uh, third six-inning start this year was Cutter Crawford. Double check that. It was only it was only his third quality start all year. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just not, he's just not giving you the length and he may not be giving you starts much longer. All right, let's slide over to some waiver wire hitters and we'll rank some players at all different kinds of positions. And at the outfield position, Austin Hayes went one for four with a sock and a shoe on Saturday, his 12th home run, his third steal. He's having a solid August. He's 65% rostered. Kerry Carpenter, the dude is on fire. Two more home runs this weekend. He's got seven home runs and a 1131 OPS in the month of August. Eddie Rosario went four for four with his 19th home run on Saturday. And Charlie Blackman had a big weekend. Five hits, including two home runs, consistently leading off for the Rockies. Scott, how do you rank this group of outfielders? Austin Hayes, Kerry Carpenter, Eddie Rosario, and Charlie Blackman. Kerry Carpenter, Kerry Carpenter, Kerry Carpenter. He is. He's the only one who I think has the potential to be a real difference maker for you. I'd have more hope for Eddie Rosario if they didn't consistently sit him against left-handers, but they do. And I don't know why that would change. Uh, so I think I go Hayes second, Blackman third, Rosario fourth. All right, some corner infielders. Wilmer Flores went two for four with his 17th home run on Sunday, having a huge second half, batting 346 with nine homers and a 1080 OPS for Wilmer Flores. Carlos Santana has four home runs in his past seven games. Brandon Drury had a big doubleheader on Saturday. He went four for eight with a double dong. And Harold Ramirez is heating back up for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, he's got uh, had seven hits, including six RBI this weekend, and has started eight of the past 10 games for Tampa. Uh, Chris, how would you rank this group? Flores, Santana, Drury, and Harold Ramirez. I think I'd go Drury, Flores, Santana, Ramirez. Um, Drury, he's having an all right season. You know, like it's, it's, I think, better than most of us expected. I Probably all three of us expected. So, you know, I, I don't know if... He hasn't been quite as good lately. I wonder how much of that is coming back from the injury, but I've been pretty happy with Brandon Jury where I've got him. So I, I think he's the clear top option here. A name that I noticed out there in a few of my two catcher leagues, Gabriel Moreno went two for five with a grand slam on Saturday. He added five RBI and in six games since returning to the D-backs, he's seven for 21 with two home runs, a 90.9 average exit velocity. He's 27% rostered. Scott, who would you rather have? Gabriel Moreno or Logan Ohapi, who also returned this weekend for the Angels? I'm, I'm going to go with Ohapi here, and I'm really surprised more people aren't talking about him. In April, he looked like the only rookie worth his salt. He was, he was surging up the catcher rankings before suffering that torn labrum in his shoulder. Uh, and, you know, he looked fine on his rehab assignment. I was, I was surprised they activated him as soon as they did. I think at the time we were thinking it was a season-ending injury, and so everybody just hoppy was off everybody's radar at that point. But I, I was looking at my own winning bids in, in TGFBI, Frank, a 15-team Roto League, two catchers. So you go 30 deep at catcher. I won Ohapi with a $4 bid out of 1000 There wasn't even a runner-up bid. Wow. Nobody was interested. I'll, I'll take that and I'll take it over Marino. I think he's has more power than Marino. Yeah, uh, I think that's fair. A few names here in deeper leagues. Oslavis Basabi with the Tampa Bay Rays had a solid weekend. He's filling in at shortstop um, with everything going on with Tampa Bay. He had six hits, four runs, and two RBI uh, and has started seven straight games for them. Brendan Rodgers has multiple hits in four of his last five games. Elvis Andrus. That's right. And Elvis Andrus and a Dallas Keuchel 
reference on the same podcast. Five hits, one homer, and one steal this weekend. He's having a pretty big August so far. Brandon Belt went two for five with a double dong on Sunday. And Jake Cave went one for four with his fifth home run. He has three homers in his past four games, has started six of the past seven games for the Phillies. Chris, any interest here in deeper leagues? Jake Cave, Brandon Belt, Elvis Andrus, Brendan Rogers, and Oslavis Basabe. I was reminded uh, Jose Altuve got his 2000th hit this week, and I was watching one of the games. They put up the graphic of the leaders in active hits, and Elvis Andrus is still like fourth <laughs> among active players, which is kind of wild. He's over 2000 hits. Uh, I can't say I'm I'm too interested in any of these guys. I think if I was, it would probably be Brendan Rodgers, just given that he has some recent prospect pedigree, but he's got 17 strikeouts and 60 plate appearances so far, only no home runs. He's got a couple of doubles, but I, I'm not too interested in him. Remember Brendan Rodgers, I think spring of 2021 or 2022, I can't remember, one of them, he was like, I'm going to steal 20 bases. Mm-hmm. He has yet to attempt to steal in the majors in 285 games. Um, uh, the Rockies player development is something else. But yeah, he, he's the only one I would be interested. Like, Brandon Belt's a good hitter. It's just we know what his limitations are. You know, We know he's not an everyday player. So if you play in a daily lineups league, he can potentially be a really useful option. But he's going to sit pretty regularly. Let's take our final break. When we return, we'll talk news and notes, start or sit questions, and more here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Welcome back, and let's talk news and notes from the weekend. Actually, wasn't too much stuff going on. Mike Trout took swings in an indoor batting cage Saturday and is, quote, very close to returning. So, I mean, With how the Angels are handling everything else, he <laughs> might be in the lineup tomorrow. It could be. That could it happen. probably won't be, but, you know given how they're using everyone else. It's po- it is possible, so we'll see. Uh, Carlos Rodon will return Tuesday against the Nationals, and it looks like that will make him a two-star pitcher facing the Nats and the Rays. Carlos Rodon had a 733 ERA and a 152 whip in six starts this season. Scott, where did uh, Carlos Rodon slot into your two-star pitcher rankings? Into the points league only tier, given that 733 ERA and 152 whip need to see something from him before I trust him is more than that. Nathan Avaldi will throw to live hitters this week while the Rangers are in Arizona against the D-backs. Emerson Hancock exited his start Sunday due to right shoulder uh, discomfort. Anthony Rizzo has been feeling better and showed improved reaction times. He hit in the batting cage Friday and he's been uh, out since August 3rd with post-concussion syndrome. He hopes to be back within a few weeks. Jose Abreu. Uh, I, I also want to mention, since I can't help but link them together, given that their declines seem to be related to injury, Joe Ryan had a great rehab start Thursday. Four innings, one hit, seven strikeouts. All right. So, so he'll hopefully back, be back soon and look more like Joe Ryan when he is. Yes, please. We could use some... Uh, Some good Joe Ryan in our lives. Jose Abreu has yet to resume swinging a bat. He's been out since August 10th due to lower back inflammation. Sal Freelich tweeted, uh, tweaked, not tweeted, or X'd, I guess you would call it now, his hamstring on Saturday and was out of the lineup Sunday. Uh, Would you guys play it safe and bench Sal Freelich this week? The Brewers only have five games. Yeah, I'd rather sit him. Yeah, I think that's fine. 
Kyle Manzardo began a rehab assignment Friday. He's been out for six weeks due to a shoulder injury, and it would not surprise me if we see Manzardo with the Guardians at some point over the final month of the season. Players who went to the IL this weekend, Tony Gonsolin with right forearm inflammation, likely done for the rest of the year. CJ Crone with lower back inflammation, retroactive to August 16th. Ranger Suarez with a right hamstring strain. Brandon Crawford with a left forearm strain. Ross Stripling with a mid-back strain. Aaron Hicks with a lower back strain. And Kevin Newman with a left oblique strain. One Frank, other injury I... note, we, did, we didn't oh. get to it when we were talking about the Reds, but I kind of teased it. Jake Fraley... Uh, he, he's he's out with a, a toe fracture, and he has been told he will need surgery on that toe, but he's going to try and play through it. So that's why I said he will be back at some point, but his issue's kind of iffy. So that that may have contributed to Noelvi Marte getting called up as well. And then one other thing, I think Frank, you you asked on Wednesday's podcast about Sean Murphy's playing time. One thing that I saw get brought up, he got hit by a pitch on. Thursday? Is that the 18th? Yeah, Friday. Uh, he has been hit by a pitch five times this in the month of August, only 10 games. Wow. And he's gotten hit by a couple of backswings. So that probably explains why he's been getting so much time off. He's just getting getting the stuffing knocked out of him over the last couple of weeks. So that was that was one thing I noticed. Yeah, such is the life of being a catcher in they, Major League they Baseball. They call him right? the tools of ignorance for a reason, although... <laughs> He's been hit by five pitches as a batter also. Do they so. call them the tools of ignorance? Hmm? That's what she said. I was <laughs> oh, making fun of your mistake. Like, I don't do that all the time. I just <laughs> slur my speech sometimes. I swallow <laughs> consonants. It's, it's, it's what I do. All right, let's... Uh, now I'm feeling very self-conscious. Let's run through some starting pitchers. Starters sit these guys. Uh, I think I got eight more names on the list. We spoke about three of them earlier. Michael Lorenzen followed up his no-hitter with a rough outing at the Nationals. He allowed seven runs. Six of those were earned over three and a third innings. And this week, he is facing the Giants, who are 20th in Woba against right-handed pitching. Uh, Scott, your thoughts. Starter sit Michael Lorenzen this week. (laughs) I mean, this exemplifies the glob and just the state of pitching in 2023, right? Like, he gives up a combined one earned run his first two start with the Phillies and then eight or six, whatever it was. He gets bombed in his third start with the Phillies. Um, I think he's part of the glob. So, you know, I mean, this matchup that Lorenzen has next at Washington is decent. I'd lean yes, but, you know, it depends what your options are. But we kind of called this one, right? Yeah, I think we he were. He threw 124 pitches in his last start to get that no-hitter. You know, this wasn't totally unexpected. You, you see this, I don't want to say regularly, but a non-zero amount of times when guys go really deep for a no-hitter or a complete game, they'll often struggle the next time out. And he had nine days off, which obviously is not a normal <laughs> schedule or routine for a starting pitcher. Bryce Miller turned in his first scoreless outing since July 16th, and of course he did it at the Astros, where... Probably nobody had him in their lineups. Six and a third shutout with only two strikeouts. Notice the velocity was up in this start for Bryce Miller and uh, did change his pitch mix quite a bit. Lowered the four-seam fastball usage. He threw more sinkers and sweepers. Didn't get him more whiffs, but obviously the results were good here. Chris, are you starting Bryce Miller at the White Sox this week? I think I'd probably do that. Yeah, the, the Mariners are interesting because they're a team that 
tends to let their pitchers do what they do well, but they're willing to tweak when they need to. And the sinker has been a big part of the tweaks that they've made for a couple of their young pitchers over the past couple of seasons. So I wonder if that's just a different look for Miller. I don't necessarily know if it's a great thing given how fastball reliant he is for his whiffs, but you know, it could be one way to keep opposing hitters off balance a little bit. Julio Arias looks like he's getting back on track with back-to-back seven-inning starts. He allowed one run over those seven innings against the Marlins this weekend and four starts in August. He has a 144 ERA, a .72 whip. Scott, are you starting Julio Arias at the Red Sox this week? Yes. I'm declaring him out of the blob. I don't know if he was ever in the blob. What's the blob? Not the glob. (laughs) What is the blob, Chris? Come on. Uh, All right, let's move over to Max Fried. Probably a fast conversation, I guess, as well. Uh, He's made four starts since returning. Two of them have been, I would say, subpar so far. Uh, A 374 ERA and a 134 whip in those four starts. Chris, are you starting at the Giants next week? So Absolutely. Just face the Giants. He faces them again. Two starts in a row. Yep. Okay. Let's talk about Hunter Brown, who uh, got hit hard in his first start back in the Astros rotation. He gave up six runs over two and two-thirds innings at 96 mile per hour average exit velocity. He's now up to a 4.50 ERA. Frankly, I don't even know if Hunter Brown is going to make another start. You know what? Take a victory lap, Frank. Yeah. You told people to sit Hunter (laughs) Brown. You were worried about it when he got the win in relief earlier this week. You called it. You should have sat Hunter Brown. I had some people yelling at me that, we told them to bench Hunter Brown, but yeah, this was a pretty rough start. Scott, are you starting uh, Hunter Brown this week? Looks like at the Tigers, so good matchup, but he's not pitching well. Yeah, I don't have a lot of faith in him right now. I would lean no. And as you say, I mean, the Astros could pull the plug on this, send him to the bullpen anytime they want. They have an overloaded rotation. He's not pitching well, so I don't even know that we can count on him to make that start necessarily. I would try not to start Hunter Brown. And and you know, and in the the type of the people the, the 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 standard size league, the one played in by most of the people we're talking to. I d I don't think Hunter Brown's undroppable even. Oh, fair enough. Let's slide over to Eduardo Rodriguez, who bounced back after a rough start. He allowed one run over six and two thirds innings with six strikeouts this weekend. Uh, the velocity was up a little bit across the board. The problem is that he's facing the Astros this week. Chris, your thought thoughts on Erod versus Houston? Yeah, against most other teams, I'd say he's definitely a start. Against the Astros, I think it is iffy enough because they're a very, very tough matchup. They don't strike out very much. So I, I think he's fringy. It depends on who you have. You know, we were talking about like Yuri Perez. I would start Yuri Perez ahead of him. Um but, you know, that probably still keeps Eduardo Rodriguez in like the top 50 starting pitchers for the upcoming week. So I think he's startable. OK, let's talk about Hunter Green, who made his first start back off the I.L. on Sunday and he got crushed. He allowed nine runs. Eight of those were earned over three innings against the Blue Jays. He gave up 11 hard hits in this game. His slider velocity was down nearly three miles per hour. Uh, he is at the Diamondbacks this week. Scott, your thoughts on Hunter Green? Uh, I got to sit him until he does better than this. I mean, he did get some some whiffs and some strikeouts for the number of innings he pitched, five and two and two-thirds. But, I mean, he got rocked. So I'm not going to start him until I, I can trust that he won't get rocked. 
All right, Dylan Cease had a rough outing. It was in Coors Field, so you put a little asterisk, I guess, on that one. He gave up five runs over four and two-thirds innings. Still had 23 swinging strikes. Uh, second half of the season for Cease, he's made seven starts with a 5.09 ERA and a 161 whip. The problem here, Chris, is that he faces the Oakland A's, so is that matchup good enough to trust Dylan Cease? I would, I would start him ahead of Eduardo Rodriguez. Okay. I would, like, let's not... It was a Coors Field start. Yeah. You know, and, and Cease's two prior to this one were great. So I think he's, I, I, he's up and down, but I, I still like, I still view him as maybe not a must start starting pitcher. You know, I might have sat, I don't have him on any, any teams, but I might have sat him, you know, for a start against the Rockies at Coors. But like, I, I generally do think Dylan Cease is going to be above average moving forward for, for the strikeout upside alone. He transcends the glove. I, I would say so, yes, even though the, the numbers have obviously been frustrating so I far, and he's been as RNG as anybody. I am Frankly, skeptical, skeptical indeed. Yeah, I, I have Dylan Cease at SP42, so I've, I've moved him Ooh. way down. I'm, I'm pretty much out. I mean, he's he had a stretch there in June and May where he looked... Solid. We thought he was getting back on track, but the uh, the grand scheme of things has been mostly bad this season for Dylan Cease. Let's quickly get into some leftovers here, and I've got four pitchers on the list, and sometimes I do this where I just put leftovers on the bottom, even though they're really important names, and Freddie Peralta has just been awesome recently. He should have been higher in the rundown. Double-digit strikeouts in three of his last five games. He was at the Rangers, five and two-thirds innings, one run allowed, 11 strikeouts, 22 swinging strikes, and over his last five starts, he has a 147 ERA, a .85 whip. I mentioned this recently. I, I think there's a chance Freddie Peralta could be a league winner for you in fantasy baseball this season. Spencer Strider put up the uh, his 10th start with double-digit strikeouts this season. He had uh, 10 of them over seven shutout innings. Pablo Lopez has allowed two earned runs or fewer in six straight starts. And the last name on this list, Kodai Senga, put together another... Strong start, seven innings, one run, five strikeouts at the Cardinals. Uh, velocity was down nearly two miles per hour on the fastball. That's now two of his last four starts where his velocity has been down pretty dramatically. Didn't affect the results here. But Scott, uh, any thoughts here on Senga, Peralta, Pablo Lopez, and Spencer Strider? I mean, I think they're all good. I, I don't, like, you keep asking, you keep wanting to talk about Freddy Peralta, and I, I, I'm not ever really sure what to say other yeah. than like okay yeah i'm glad he's getting double digit strikeouts again given the way the season has gone with pitching given the way his season personally has gone would it surprise me if 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 he stabbed you in the back the moment it would hurt the most no it wouldn't surprise me but yeah i, I mean you gotta start him right now with the way he's pitching sure uh the other three strider lopez senga i mean i i feel i feel more comfortable with what they're doing. Senga for the fact that he just stopped walking guys. And that's been going on for two and a half months now. I don't think he's had more than three walks in a game in two and a half months. And when he was doing that consistently before then, uh, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna probably be in all rookie of the year runner up right behind Corbin Carroll. I think Not so. Patrick Corbin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, like, well, going back to Freddie Peralta, like like Scott said, I just don't understand. You know, it, it's sort of the inverse of like Sandy Alcantara struggling for most of the season where like 
I don't think there's a good explanation for why it's happened. And so just as I was hesitant to bury Sandy Alcantara, I, I'm a little hesitant to praise Freddie Peralta too much just because I don't know what's changed. I, I think a big part of it might just be like regression. He's just a better pitcher than he showed for the first, you know, three months of the season. Um, and now we're seeing that in action, but I wish I had a more concrete thing to point to besides just like strikeout rate, go burr, you know, I think the control, I, I think that might be a big thing. He's, he's got seven walks over his last five uh, starts. Does Freddie Peralta, he might just be, you know, locating better. And sure. you know, he was, when he was getting hit hard this year, it was, you know, the walks, the home runs, and it would all just kind of snowball on him. But right now it's Freddie Peralta's. That's a fair point. Pretty, pretty locked in. Few hitting leftovers here. Bobby Witt Jr., another huge weekend for him. Six hits, one homer, three more steals. He is up to 24 homers and 37 steals on the season. Rafael Devers had three straight three-hit games, back-to-back games with a home run. He's now up to 29 on the year. Shohei Otani hit his 43rd home run on Friday. Once again, ties him with Matt Olson for the league lead. Cody Bellinger, two for three with a double dong on Saturday. Now batting 324 with 20 homers, 17 steals, and a 933 OPS in 92 games. Is Cody Ballinger going to get like a $100 million contract this offseason? <laughs> I, well, I think he's going to get more than that. Like Because no he was idea. like on, he looked like a $300 million player at one point, And he kind of looks like a $3 million, $300 million player yeah. right now. I, think I don't, he's gonna get, still don't quite buy it, but like, is he going to get like, like, is someone going to give him like 818? Like the Chris Bryant contract? What was it? 7160 or whatever it ended up being? Mm. I, I think I he will get more annually than that number you just put out there. Wow. It may be shorter. The Bryant contract was 7182. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He, I, I, he's a tough I can't one, man. say I'd want my team to do it. <laughs> of course, my team is not going to do it either way. So, you know, safe from that one. But yeah, that's uh, maybe a real interesting free agency for, for Cody Ballinger. I think it's going to be just a real interesting offseason for analyzing Cody Bellinger too for fantasy. Yeah. I, you know, we spoke last week, Scott. I think we said he's probably going to be drafted as a top 60 player next year, yeah. a top five round pick. And based on what he's doing, he deserves that. It's just, I, I don't know how much I trust it, just given his up and down nature over the past couple of years. Maybe he's just finally healthy and everything has clicked and, mecha- and mechanically he's back on track, but what an interesting, interesting season for Cody Bellinger. Trey Turner went two for five with a double dong on Saturday and is playing much better in August, batting 300 with four home runs, a steal, and a 904 OPS. Pete Alonso hit two more home runs this weekend as well, uh, now up to 39 home runs for the season, and in August, batting 254 with nine home runs and a 1066 OPS. Call to the bullpen, a few updates for the Royals on Friday. Carlos Hernandez Got the ninth inning with a one-run lead. He gave up a hit and a walk, but picked up his second save. For the Tigers, they were busy this weekend. Jason Foley uh, got a save on Friday. On Saturday, Alex Lang pitched in the seventh inning in a huge spot in the game. He you know, worked out of it. And then uh, Jason Foley got the ninth inning again, picked up his seventh save. And then on Sunday, Foley was unavailable. Alex Lang picked up his 18th save of the year and his first since July 23rd. My lean right now, Scott, is that it's Jason Foley's job. Do you agree? I think they eventually want Lang to reclaim it. I think Lang is 
it, it has more of a future in the role than Jason Foley does. Uh, but did he do enough this weekend in that big spot and then coming back and getting the save the next day to to reclaim it? I don't know. I mean, I I think in fantasy, the more rosterable of the two is lying because I think he gets the most saves for the Tigers from today forward. I don't know that he's back in the role yet, but I do think that's what happens. For the Mariners on Friday, Andres Munoz allowed two hits but picked up his seventh save. And then on Sunday, Andres Munoz entered in the eighth inning with a one-run lead to face 9-1-2 and two in the Astros lineup. So obviously it's a pretty big spot. And then Gabe Spire got the ninth inning and he picked up his first save. This was the first time we saw Munoz used... No, because he has come in in the eighth, but then they tried to use him for a two-inning save. But I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting that you yeah. know, they used him in the, I guess... You know, to face the top of the lineup. So, but that's and, then, and they did they did that with Seawald sometimes. So, that's kind of a weird usage because, like, yeah, nine one two is a pretty tough part of the lineup, especially you know the Astros. They're they're pretty top heavy, but like three four five is pretty important too. Yeah, I think they so wanted that, the lefty to face Jordan Alvarez, but it makes sense. Yeah, I mean he's good against lefties too. So I don't I don't know. It's just but I. I Altuve and Bregman were batting one and two for what it's worth. Yeah, I'm not worried about what that means for him. He's the closer. For the Angels on Friday, Carlos Estevez got the ninth inning with the game tied. He stayed out there for the 10th inning. He was charged with three runs and took his fourth loss. And then on Saturday, Ronaldo Lopez got the ninth inning with a one-run lead. He struck out two for his sixth save and is 6% rostered. So if you play in a deeper league, I think there's a chance that Ronaldo Lopez can get some save opportunities moving forward. For the Marlins on Saturday, David Robertson got the ninth with a one-run lead. He gave up three runs and took his fifth blown save and fourth loss of the year. Absolute disaster that's been. Yeah, it's been a pretty bad trade so far for the for the Marlins. And then for the Dodgers on Saturday, they had a doubleheader. Evan Phillips got his 19th save in game one, and then Bruce Dark Gratterall got his sixth save in game two. I did not write down streamers on the rundown, so come on, we're going old school style. I'm reading off the names, baby. On Monday, Javier Assad at the Tigers. Yeah. Okay, I, I guess <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think he's very good, but that's a good matchup, and he's pitched well lately. Huh? Isn't this guy a prospect? Drew Rom. Didn't the Cardinals get him in the Jack Flaherty trade? It looks like he's starting on Monday against the Pirates. I would pass. Okay. What about? Um, Alan Winans is facing the Mets. I like that more. I like that more than Assad. Okay. What about he's, Grant? He's a two-star pitcher this week, presumably, if he pitches well and stays up. Yeah. Is Alan Winans. Graham Ashcraft at the Angels? Yeah, tough matchup. You know, I don't believe in Ashcraft, what he's been doing, but he's been doing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. What about Paul Blackburn versus the Royals? Yeah, that's fine. He's he's pitched pretty well lately. Okay. And Johnny uh, Cueto. I prefer Ashcraft to Assad. Okay. And Johnny Cueto at the Padres? I assume no. Nah. nah. Okay. Let's go over to Tuesday where we have Drew Smiley at the Tigers. I wouldn't. Nope. Reese Olsen versus the Cubs. Nah. Mm-mm. Zach Littell versus the Rockies in Tampa Bay. Yeah, that's fine. First game away from Coors, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. That's pretty good. I like it. How about Johan Oviedo versus the Cardinals? Mm, I prefer not to. 
Nope, we're not going with Tanner Howe because first game back. How about Wade Miley against the Twins? Yeah, I would. That might be okay, yeah. Mike Clevenger against the Mariners? If I you're really wanting to push your luck, I think that's going to be one of your better choices. I greatly prefer Wade Miley. Reed Detmers versus the Reds? No. Yeah. Well, it was better last time, but I, I don't think so. But not even like in a super useful way. It was like five strikeouts, four walks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And last name is Rich Hill against the Marlins. No. Wouldn't surprise me if he did well, but no, I think I like Wade Miley more than anybody else the next two days. Okay. Wade Miley. I think Littell is pretty good, too. I think I'm all right with that one. And, yeah, that one's fine. You know, maybe Clevenger if you're uh, I don't know how you could be desperate on Tuesday, but who knows? We're going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.